today is uh, the final part uh, of our marriage series. Um, next week, we're going to be starting another mini-series within 1 Corinthians. Uh, as we continue to follow this letter, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, um, for the next four or five weeks after this week, we're going to be thinking about what it means for us as a people to be living as light, living as light, what it means to live out the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And next week, TJ is going to be spending time looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, which is the next passage after this one. Um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at marriage in two particular ways. We spent time examining marriage and wisdom, marriage and wisdom, how God calls us to, to really understand the reality of marriage as a gift from him and how that can have an impact on our society, that can have an impact upon married people and that can have an impact upon single people as well. Uh, last week, we spent time looking at marriage and mission, how marriage is a picture of the gospel and because it's a picture of the gospel, then it speaks in a very clear way to each one of us about the reality of Christ in the church and how Jesus has plans and purposes for our lives when we turn to him. And today we're examining together marriage and eternity, marriage and eternity, how we need to understand marriage in light of the eternal hope and future that we have, especially if we profess faith in Christ and especially as we choose to live in light of that profession. Uh, this week, as I've prepared, it's been both uh, challenging um, and also extremely rewarding. Um, and so I think it would be helpful for us to, instead of reading this passage and then afterwards going back into it verse by verse um, and section by section, to rather immediately just go into this passage. Um, and we're going to study this passage as we go through, as we read it. And there are three reasons why I think we should do it like this for this particular week. Uh, the first reason is there are a number of difficult and unclear at first glance some may even say problematic verses within this passage. And the reality for each one of us is if you find a passage that seems to be unclear, that seems to be difficult, a passage that you can't get your head around, the reality is the problem is not with the word of God. Instead, in the nicest possible way, the problem is with you and I and with our limited understanding of what God's word says as broken and fallen human beings. This applies to every single one of us. There's always, always, always passages and verses that we find difficult. And what should happen is that these difficult passages and verses should really act as vehicles, as effective tools to drive us deeper into the Word and closer to God. When I was at high school a long, long time ago, um, I took what was then called standard grade chemistry. Um, and I just about managed to understand and come to terms with standard grade chemistry. I barely passed it. It wasn't my love language, to be honest. Uh, the formulas didn't really do it for me. It was just something I wasn't very interested in. Um, and for some silly reason, I do not know why I did this, but I decided to give higher chemistry a try. Like the next level up. But to be honest, it didn't feel like another level up. It felt like 10 levels up. And it was like a completely different language to me. It was difficult. It was unclear. I couldn't get my head around the basic contents of higher chemistry. And so I had to drop out after a few weeks. Now, just because I didn't understand it, I didn't then respond by saying, this isn't chemistry because I don't understand it. Um, no, the problem wasn't with chemistry. The problem was with me. The problem was with my lack of desire and capacity to understand. 
And in the same way, just because you don't understand a passage or a verse, it doesn't make it any less the word of God. The word of God is the word of God, irrespective of whether or not you understand it, irrespective of whether or not you find it difficult, and irrespective of whether or not you respond in a particular way to it. God's word is always God's word. So it's important to understand this, especially with difficult passages. And I say this really echoing what Peter writes about some of Paul's writings, what he taught to the early church. Even Peter recognised that some verses in Scripture are difficult. And so he wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verses 14 through to 16, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things. And this is a key bit that Peter says, in which, speaking of Paul, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as we do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. So Peter's warning here is really a recognition that sometimes what Paul writes, but also in other parts of scripture, including what Peter writes, there are areas, passages, verses that are difficult to understand. And what Peter's saying here is, don't let your lack of understanding take you off track. Keep on the path that God has for you. Drive deeper into his word. Rely on the spirit and see how God works in and through you as a result of your dependence upon him as you study his word. So with that as a backdrop, let me go through a quick commentary of this passage, recognising there's going to be challenges for us, but letting those moments push us closer to God. And then after that, let's take a bird's eye view of what Paul is getting at here. And as we do this, I believe we're going to see the importance that Paul is placing on this idea of eternity and around this subject of marriage. So how this, this idea of eternity and this idea of marriage are connected together. So let's begin by looking at verse 25. Paul says these words, Now about virgins. Now about virgins. Now, this term virgin is a biblical term that refers to both male and female. And the term simply means single people. And Paul continues, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Now, again, this is something we looked at last week. Paul has not received any conscious direct revelation from God regarding single people, nor is he echoing words of Jesus that have been passed on to him. Instead, he is using his apostolic authority as one who has been chosen by God to direct single people towards what is right and true. God is speaking through the apostle here. So this leads Paul onto what we read in verse 26. Paul writes to the Corinthians, because of the present distress. Now when he uses this term, present distress, what is it that Paul is speaking of here? You know, you might think that Paul here is speaking particularly of a season of persecution that the church is going through. There was waves of persecution from the early church. They faced many different challenges and problems, including around the time when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. But I don't think there's enough in those two words to, de to definitively conclude that this is what Paul is getting at here within this passage. And most commentators on this passage would agree with that. 
I think what Paul is speaking about here is more general. Basically, the time between Christ's resurrection and ascension and his return. In other words, the time that we're living in right now, today, is a time characterised by persecution, yes, as well as physical suffering, spiritual warfare, a way of life that in reality makes us long and hope for the life to come. We look forward to the day when all pain and hardship and difficulty will one day cease. The one book of the Bible that really speaks of this idea of present distress for believers more than any other is the book of Revelation. Now John highlights that history really does tend to repeat itself. What we see in Revelation is indicative of what we see in every single generation and in every century. Life is not quite as it should be because of the brokenness of human beings. The present distress of the church in Corinth is the present distress of the church in Glasgow and the church in Scotland today. So we labour, we suffer, and we long for that day when Jesus will one day return. So this is what Paul is speaking of in verse 26. And Paul continues in verse 26 and he says, Because of this present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. So Paul here is reiterating something that we spent time looking at last week. Remain in the situation that you find yourself in. But he's a bit stronger in what he says here. And the two key words in this passage are bound and released. Bound and released. Bound refers to the marriage union between husband and wife. And released refers to the breaking of that marriage union. Something that we touched upon last week. And if you remember, Paul gave concession to the breaking of a marriage union, a divorce in two different scenarios, sexual immorality and abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. And the other scenario that scripture speaks of, which is included later on within this passage, where a, where a marriage union is or can be released, is with the death of a spouse. So there's three possible scenarios where a couple could be bound and then released. And Paul says that if you're released, if that's what you find yourself in, do not seek a wife. But at the same time, if you do seek a wife, if you do remarry, then you've not sinned. And he also says in the final part of verse 27, if a virgin, a single person, someone who has never been married before marries, they also have not sinned. So Paul here is basically underlining the importance of being content where you find yourself. Then Paul moves on uh, and he basically looks at two reasons why people are in some way at a disadvantage if they marry. We read in, in verse 28 of this passage. But such people, married folk, will have trouble in this life and I am trying to spare you. So Paul is highlighting that in a general sense there are more possibilities and opportunities for trouble in this life if you're married compared to if you're not married. And this makes sense, does it not? The more people you're connected to, spouse and children, the more opportunities there are for suffering, for difficulty and for challenges. Paul highlights this again by saying, this is what I mean. In effect, this is another reason for being better off single than married. In verse 29, we read, this is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none, 
Those who weep, as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice, as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy, as though they didn't own anything. And those who use the world, as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. So these verses explain themselves quite clearly. The danger with marriage, just like the danger with so many different areas of life, good and bad, is that they have a potential of making us lose sight of the eternal reality of our lives. All that we see and go through and experience will one day pass away because death is inevitable for us all. The husband will one day lose his wife and the wife will one day lose her husband. And for that reason, married people are at a disadvantage because they are, in one sense, investing in something temporary. And Paul here is highlighting the fact that marriage, in many regards, is a microcosm for all of life. Marriage, like everything tangible we see in this life, will also one day pass away. In other words, marriage is one of many temporary things in this world. And in that sense, it's a challenge to those to those of us who have faith in Christ and who are married, there's a temptation to forget all that God has in store for us because of the present reality of marriage within our lives. And Paul continues in verses 32 through to 35, underlining a third reason for people to be better off remaining single than being married. So he says in verse 32, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord how he may please the Lord. <clears throat> but the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I am, I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. So Paul here provides a clear and consistent comparison between what a married life can look like and what a, sing a single life can also look like. For the married, your focus can easily be the day-to-day -day business of married and family life, and in that, that sense you're at a disadvantage to the single person who has more time to focus on eternal things. Now, Paul's saying this, does not this does not mean that this is how married and single life will definitively pan out, of course. You can, of course, have worldly single folk who profess faith in Jesus. And likewise, you can have eternally minded married couples who are all out for the cause of Christ. But Paul here is highlighting a particular danger and pitfall that can arise within the life of a married person compared to the life of a single person. And Paul moves on. And in the remaining verses, he highlights two examples for us. Here he's outlining two scenarios that he wants to speak into pastorally. The first one, we read in verses 36 through to 37. Paul says this, If any man thinks he is acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to, if she is getting beyond the usual age for marriage, and he feels he should marry, he can do what he wants. He is not sinning, they can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and has decided in his heart to keep her as his fiancée, will do well. So then, he who marries his fiancée does well, but he who does not marry will do better. 
Now, let me be clear this morning or today in saying that this is one of the most disputed passages in Scripture. And there are two very different understandings around what Paul is speaking about here. And what you find is that translations will veer on either one of these interpretations of this passage. So we have, as we read in our CSB translation here, and many more modern translations, the passage speaking of a man and his fiancée. Here the interpretation is one where Paul is addressing the issue of a man and his fiancée, and Paul is addressing, is answering the question of whether or not he should marry her. And the second interpretation of this passage is one of a father and a daughter, and whether or not the father should give his daughter in marriage. So let's look at the same passage in a different translation. Let's examine together how the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, understands this passage. So we read these words from the NASB, starting in verse 36. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if she has passed her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. So, our time in this section could honestly be a separate sermon, or multiple sermons. Um, There's so much to discuss and debate around this particular passage. Um, So which is it? Uh, What is Paul speaking of here? Is he speaking about a man and his fiancée? Or is he speaking about a father and his daughter? Well, I'm not passionately committed to one position or another. Um, I wouldn't be willing to die for either of these positions. But what I would say is that a most natural understanding of this passage is that Paul here is speaking in particular to a father and a daughter. I would agree with the NASP, NASB rather than the CSB within this passage. So let me give you a couple of reasons for why I believe Paul here is speaking to a father and a daughter rather than a man and, a, and his fiancée. First of all, it fits the cultural context of Paul's day where fathers and daughters gave their daughters in marriage. Paul is addressing a family principle that already existed within Corinthian culture. Fathers giving their daughters in marriage and he's wanting to both highlight that principle and point that principle towards eternity. And the second reason is this, verse 38 only makes sense with the father and daughter position. It would be bizarre for Paul to say that someone who is engaged and then chooses not to marry does better than someone who is engaged and marries which is exactly what Paul would be saying under a man and fiancé interpretation of this passage. It makes more sense that Paul is saying the father does well to give his daughter in marriage and also does better to not give his daughter in marriage. So the question that then arises from all of this is that does this this apply to us today in Scotland in the 21st century? And to that I would respond no and yes. The direct command doesn't apply to us today, no, no. Because here Paul is recognising a cultural norm within Corinth. A dynamic that doesn't necessarily exist between fathers and daughters today. Paul is definitely speaking today of the importance of fathers being protective of their daughters. 
But the practical outworking of what Paul is saying is perhaps more a reflection of an issue within Corinthian culture. But there's also a yes here from this passage. It does apply to us today because we can learn from what Paul says here. There's a biblical principle that comes out of this. One that in effect underlines that what we are to do when it comes to marriage and when it comes to family. In effect, we are to do whatever maximises God's glory and our vision of eternity, our hope of all that Jesus has planned for us. So Paul was getting fathers here to think eternally. And in that sense, we should learn from Paul's exhortation so that we are also people who think eternally. So I recognise there's a lot there's a lot of content within those few verses. And I'm honestly happy to answer any questions that you might have after this message. Um, so you can contact me directly if you have any questions or thoughts or pushback on that. Um, the second pastoral example that Paul speaks into in this passage is in verses 39 through to 40, where Paul says, A wife is bound as long as her husband is living. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. So this is highlighting what we've already spent time looking at together. A person has the freedom to remarry if their spouse passes away. So there's a lot of content we've looked at. We've spent a significant amount of time studying these verses. We've zoomed in. It's felt like we've walked amongst these verses and we've, we've seen these verses face to face. What I want us to now do is really take an aerial view of this passage. And from there we're going to get really an idea, a big picture idea of what Paul is getting at. And this will really help us to answer some questions that we have for our missional communities. So there are, I believe, two main points we can take from this passage. Um, and these points are going to be really useful and beneficial as we think about marriage. And it will help us abundantly as we think about our own lives and the general cha uh, challenges and circumstances that we face uh, today. So the first point, the first lesson we can learn is from verses 25 through to 28. So from what Paul says, we understand that Paul is calling us today to be circumstantially content. Paul is calling us to be circumstantially content. Paul essentially says in these verses, remain as you are. Remain as you are. And he does so because he recognises a danger within marriage and with the prospect of marriage as well as many other circumstances of life. We think that these things are golden bullets for our lives. We believe that we can fill the spiritual void in our lives through the particular circumstantial needs being met, including being married. You know, when I was single, I had this kind of image of being married. And honestly, I believed that everything would fall into place in my life if only I was married. I didn't think I would have any problems at all. That was a kind of idealised view and understanding of what marriage would be like. I used to have this kind of hallmark Disney movie interpretation of married life. And let me just say to anyone who's single and might be overtly or subtly thinking that way, I stand with every single married person today to tell you that this is Hollywood claptrap, a complete nonsense. Just in any case that you're thinking, if only I was married, then life would be dot, dot, dot. Marriage is not the answer to all of life's problems. And it was never designed by God to be that way. 
You know, my experience is that marriage makes you more aware of your own brokenness and your own sinfulness. And to add another response or reply to that nonsensical idea is this reality that my hope is not in Pauline. My hope is in Christ as he works in Pauline. And my hope is in Christ as he works in a very clear and powerful way in my own life. And as we together are married, we are able to glorify God in the power of his spirit. So you're no better worse, sorry, you're no better or worse spiritually or circumstantially if you are married. Which is a precise reason why Paul is saying to be circumstantially content. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and in verses 10 through to 13. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. So, Honestly, this is a word for every single one of us, for married, for divorced, for single, for remarried, for rich, for poor, for marginalised, for accepted. Whoever you might be, Paul says here, be content. Learn to be content and let your contentment rest in Christ always. So, you know, I wonder if this passage in Philippians here, Philippians 4, is a picture of you today. Where is your contentment today? Do you carry contentment in your life? Are you willing today to surrender your hopes and your dreams out of a desire to be focused on Christ and experience the contentment that only he can give to you? Is your primary and exclusive aim in life one of contentment in him? So a question for your missional communities or a couple of questions are these. What makes you discontent in life? What makes you discontent in life? And how can you move from discontentment in life towards contentment in Christ? So the first question, what makes you discontent in life? Second question, how can you move from discontentment in life towards contentment in Christ? And then Paul moves on to the second big point around this passage, which is our final point. Be eternally minded. Be eternally minded. So Paul is placing the gift of marriage and singleness in the context of eternity. If we don't understand this, if we don't understand that Paul is doing this here in this passage, then we're, e- we're going to easily misinterpret Paul saying that singleness is spiritually better than marriage. And we might even think it's impossible or difficult to be spiritually fruitful and at the same time married. That would be a surface level interpretation of what Paul is communicating. And it would be a false interpretation. Paul understands there's so much more to our lives than marriage itself. He recognises that marriage is an important part of, of life in certain contexts and situations. But it's part of something bigger. The glory of God and the eternal hope we have. Paul wants us instead to be eternally minded, intent and living for Christ in all things, in our marriage, in our singleness, 
and in each and every one of our circumstances. So look at what Paul writes in the previous chapter to the one we've just looked at, at Philippians chapter 3 and in verses 14 through to 15. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So the goal, the focus of your life is the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ. If you are in Christ today, you have a prize promised through his heavenly call. And this is very much what is fueling what Paul says here within this passage. And so is the prize fueling how you live your life today? Do you daily look ahead to this eternal hope that God has for you? And do you live your life in light of that reality? Let me ask you that in a different way. Two questions again for your missional communities. What are the temporary distractions that are taking you away from an eternal mindset? So first question, what are the temporary distractions that are taking you away from an eternal mindset? And the second question, how can you cultivate a life where you're consistently thinking in light of what God has for you in eternity? How can you cultivate a life where you're consistently thinking in light of what God has for you within eternity? And let me just say as we close, if you want signposted to any resources on marriage, on singleness, on remarriage, on divorce, in light of all that we've looked at within this wee mini-series, then do let us know. Do let me know. There are a number of resources that are helpful for us as a church, and I can post some of those on our WhatsApp group uh, later on in the week. And if you need prayer for anything that we've talked about, either as a single person or as a married person, then do contact us. There's a number of people who are available to hear what's going on within your life, and in confidence, we'll pray with you and for you. You know, as we've spoken about eternity, a simple question for us to reflect on is this. Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you know what results after death? Can you tell me that you're going to be with God in heaven rather than separate from him? Do you have confidence of the hope in Jesus? You know, Jesus died on the cross for every single one of our sins. He died for your sin and for my sin. And he opened a door for you to then respond, to recognise your own brokenness, and for you to respond in faith, trusting that he has his very best for your life. And walking through that door means that you trust Jesus to rescue you. So I want to just encourage you to make a decision to follow him. If you haven't yet made a decision to follow him, you can do that today. And we've got people available to pray with you. If you're watching us live, you can click on the prayer button in the message feed. If you're watching us recorded, then you can contact us privately on social media or on info at denisonbaptist.co.uk. But let me just be very clear, there's nothing more important than making a decision to respond to Jesus today. So may that be, may that be so for every single one of us. We recognise Jesus, we respond in faith, and we live a life in the power of his Holy Spirit. We're now going to respond in a time of worship together. As we do that, I would just encourage you to be listening to all that God has to say to you as we sing and as we reflect on these words from Scripture. So let's pray together. So Father, we thank you for your word. And we recognise that 
<clears throat> this is a, a challenging passage in many regards. We pray, Lord, that we would understand uh, more and more of who you call us to be. Lord, we do continue to pray for married couples within the life of the church. Lord, we pray that they would know your blessing and your power. We pray that they would experience your grace, that there would be unity within that marriage, and it would be a unity that's rooted in you. Lord, we continue to pray for single people. Lord, we pray that the single people within the life of the church would know your grace and your peace. They would know that the joy of the Lord is our strength in each and every day. And Lord, we pray that for married couples and for single people and for anyone in between, they would know what it means to put you first. And together, we would be effective on mission for you. And so we ask that you would bless this time as we now respond in worship and as we have opportunity to respond in faith and in prayer, that you would work in and through us for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Love you guys. God bless.